It's on page 6 of your worship guide. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Won't you stand with me as we read the scripture this morning? Philippians 2, 5 through 7. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask your blessings now this morning upon the message. I pray for your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to come in power, Lord. We are feeble and unable, Lord. We're unable to make sense of the word, but by your Holy Spirit. We are unable to change our lives, but by your Holy Spirit. We are telling you this morning, Lord, that we are completely dependent upon your Spirit this morning to make this message effective to the changing of hearts and lives. Oh, Father, put the mind of Christ in us, the humility of Christ, that though all honor, all glory, all majesty, all praise belongs to him, he washed his disciples' feet. He said, I have nowhere to lay my head. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. May our lives mirror the humility of our Lord. The servant is not greater than his Lord, as you said in your word. Can we expect honor and glory when he who deserved it was humiliated and abused and despised? Can we lift ourselves up in our own minds when you washed your disciples' feet? Oh, give us the humility of Christ this morning, as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Philippians 2, as we continue our journey. Through this wonderful book. I'm not pointing fingers, but last week the Lord didn't allow me to finish my message. So I'm going to finish it this week. Amen. I'm going to attach the end of last week's message to the beginning of this week's message and tie it kind of together. I mentioned last week that Paul gave a command at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 and 2. And with the command, he then gave practical steps for carrying out the command. So Paul gives the command in 1 and 2 to minister to one another the same consolations that we receive from Christ. In verse 3, we see the first practical advice. How do we minister consolations to other people? The answer is without strife and not for vainglory. How can we avoid this type of attitude in our ministry? The answer is at the end of verse 3, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We need to truly think less of ourselves and more of other people. How will this manifest itself? The answer is in verse 4, which we saw last week. Don't look to your own things, but to the things or affairs of others. How do you know a humble person? A humble person spends their time in service of other people. They think about others before themselves. They put others before themselves. The last thing I said last week was self-denial is the key to biblical Christianity. In verse 4, we see Paul's instructions on how to perform verse 3 without hypocrisy. Right? You can lie with your lips, but not with your life. Right? I can... I can say out loud, well, Tatsuo is a better person than me. What a great guy. What a wonderful Christian. And I can lie about him. Just kidding. I'm not lying about you. but I'm, If I don't really believe that, I can lie about him. And when Tatsuo says, 
Brother Rick, my car broke down. I need a ride to go preach. Well, Tatsuo, I'm sorry. I got a, I got a barbecue plan that I can't go with you. I can't do that. I got things. I got plans. You should have told me sooner. I, I don't have time for them. Suddenly, my praise of Tatsuo doesn't mean much, does it? It's just lip service. When he needs me, and it might inconvenience me, what do I do? I don't serve him. Right? But you get somebody who says, I need, my car broke down. I need a ride to go preach. And someone says, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Honey, I can't be at the barbecue. You guys just have fun. I need to go give him a... That's a humble person. That's a person who is living out the humility that they say with their lips. I've known many people, my mom being one of those, who's a very humble person, who would inconvenience themselves at the drop of a hat um, to minister to somebody else, to meet their need. It wasn't pretense. It wasn't words. It was action. Corey Ten Boom, in her book, I think it was The Hiding Place, talked about how they would share their meal with anybody who needed it. People didn't have, they needed food. People wouldn't come. They didn't have enough. They'd invite them over. People traveling, traveling Christians through, had them in. And they said sometimes they didn't have enough food to share. So the soup was not much more than broth. But they shared it anyways. You know why? They put others before themselves. Remember that pastor I told you about that had the banquet? So why don't we invite all the people that ride our buses to come? Well, then we won't have food for our people. Okay. Then let's not have food for our people. Let's us serve them. And it was just so far out of his thinking, right? It was so out of the question. We're not going to do that. So all his preaching about love for the poor was just words. Here's our chance to put into action what we say with our mouth. And his answer was, no, we're not going to do that. That would inconvenience us. Now, this does not, verse 4, does not give us license for gossip or being a busybody in people's affairs. It means to look after their souls, to look after their needs, like food, shelter, clothes. It means to help them find work. It means to give them rides. It means to be a part of their life and to meet their needs. It doesn't mean we're a gossip and a busybody. Oh, I need to lay down my life for Debbie, so I'm going to come to prayer meeting and say, you guys need to pray for Debbie. Boy, she's got so many. You'll never believe what she told. That's not what. You ever been to those prayer meetings before? I have, where people are gossiping through prayer. Okay. I'm not a fan of using God as a means of sharing something with somebody else. When you're praying, you're talking to God. Don't talk to somebody else. I used to get so, not just because I was a teenager and I was probably one of the, the ones that was causing problems, but I had this pastor when I was a teenager. And all the teenagers sat together in the back of the church and he, he would constantly pray and Lord, help the teenagers to listen and to be quiet and not pass notes. And we all knew he wasn't talking to God. He was talking to us. So don't do that. Just address people directly. Address, you're disrespecting God when you do that. I, I don't even like, I know some people do it where they go to a restaurant and they do this really loud prayer and they share, the, like, I shared the gospel with my prayer. Don't do that. You're talking to God. If you want to share the gospel, then talk to people directly and share the gospel. But don't use God as a means to talk to somebody else. Okay? We've got to guard against that kind of nonsense. No, no, no. To, put, uh, to, to look not every man on his own things, put every man also on the things of others, doesn't mean to be a busybody. It means to care about their soul. It means to stop them when they're sinning. It means to confront them in their sin. It means to check on their spiritual life. How are you doing? What has God showed you this week? What are you learning? What are you reading? You need food? We'll go get you some groceries. You need a ride? Let me know what time. I'll be there. You need a place to stay? Come stay with us. That's what it means. It means to lay down our lives. It means when a person in the church needs help because he's got dementia. It means we don't, put, we don't put him in a nursing home. We take him into our home. It means when someone's dying of cancer, we're at their bedside to meet their needs, to help them. 
It means that when a single mother has a job interview, we watch their kids so they can go to the job. It means we lay down our lives, we inconvenience ourselves for the needs of others. That's what it means. How often do we do that? Or is our serving others only when it's convenient for us? I'll sum up last week's message very quickly. Lay down your life for others. Self-abandonment in order to serve. That's what Jesus did. Self-abandonment in order to serve. Put the needs of others above your own. Our home, our food, our money, our health, our time. These are all commodities best spent in the service of others. That's what verse 4 is telling us. That's the, the point of that verse. We love Christ by loving our brothers and sisters. We love Christ by loving the lost. The call to love Christ fully is a call to abandon ourselves as he did, which we're looking at this week. The command in verses 3 and 4 is to think of others as better than yourself by laying down your life for them. So now Paul, in this verse, is going to give us extra help on the command to love one another. Esteem others better than yourself, he says. Lay down your life for others. But how, Paul? He has the answer in the form of an example. And this brings us to verse 5, our text this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What he's telling the church here is to have the mindset that Jesus had. Jesus is our example of selfless service to others. He's our example of loving your enemies. He's our example of humility. We have no reason to think highly of ourselves, do we? I mean, if we're really, if we're really honest about who we are, if you know the sinner that you are, we have nothing to glory in, do we? We have no reason to think highly of ourselves. None at all. He does. He's not a sinner. He's God. We are not intrinsically good. He is. We don't deserve worship. He does. Christ deserves honor, worship, glory, and majesty. Yet he lowered himself and became a servant. And yet we puff ourselves up and think, oh, that's, that's beneath me. I'm not going to do that. I'm busy. I can't help them. They shouldn't have asked that. Turn to John chapter 13. I'll show you some examples of the humility of Christ. In John chapter 13. It's one of my favorite examples. Let's take a look at the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4. He, speaking of Christ, riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. It was a common thing for a household servant to wash the feet of the master of the house before a meal. And their guests, this act was never done outside of someone's station. You didn't volunteer. I mean, it'd be, I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent to this. It's, it was dirty work. It'd be like walking into your workplace and being like, can I clean the toilets today? Right? My wife was a, a janitor at a hospital, but walking in and saying, can I get all the vomit today? <laughs> right? You avoid those. But Jesus volunteered for it. No Pharisee or Sadducee would ever have done such an embarrassing thing as watching the feet of the people they were training. Jesus girded himself with it. He wrapped it around him. He knelt down and he washed the dirty feet of men who were clearly beneath him. He should have been served by them, yet he took the place of a servant to them. Verse 12 Verse 12 through 16. 
So after he had washed their feet, had taken his garments, and was set down again, he, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. I don't want to scare you guys. I'm not instituting feet washing here, but I've been a part of churches that actually did literal feet washing. And uh, it's, it's actually quite a blessing. Jesus set the example of humility, didn't he? Self-sacrifice, servant living. What did Jesus say? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and Master, have washed your, if I, your Lord and Master, have humbled myself and served you, you ought to humble yourselves and serve one another. If I have lowered myself, being your Lord and Master, you ought to lower yourself. You realize none of us are Lord and Master, right? We're aware of that. We're, we're, we've come to terms with the fact that we're not God, right? If he is God could do the dirty work and serve other people, then you and I can do the dirty work and serve other people. We should do that. But so often we puff ourselves up. We, we lift ourselves up. We put ourselves in a place we don't deserve to be while Jesus is down here washing the feet of his disciples. This theme of a servant being not greater than his master is a theme that Jesus gives Several times. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45. Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. What a powerful verse. Christ came to serve. Why? The answer is to model for us humility and service. If Christ thinks a lot of himself, it's deserved, isn't it? If you think a lot of yourself, if I think a lot of myself, is it deserved? <laughs> if we're honest, no. We're not God. We have no beauty, no majesty, no holiness. All that you and I have today is conferred upon us by Christ. It's imputed. It's not natural. It's not from us. We see the humility of Christ throughout Scripture. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. In verse 58, Luke 9, 58. The Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He who today sits on heaven's throne was homeless and outcast. Why? So he could serve others. So he could serve others. So he could model for us humility and service. That's why he did it. You realize Jesus could have come a different way. He could have come to, to, to the household of, of the high priest. He could have been born there. He could have been born in the temple. He could have been in the, in the high class. He could, have, he could have done it a different way. He chose that way for a reason, to teach us humility and service. Christians who refuse to lay down their lives for other people are living contrary to the example of Christ. Christ didn't come to save us to make us glorious. <laughs> He's going to glorify us. He came to make us servants. Servants. You realize we're going to serve him for all of eternity, right? We start that right now. How? Serving one another. As you've done to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Right? Go to Luke 22. A couple pages over. Luke 22, verse 24. 
22-24. There was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the, earth, of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as one that serveth. They're having this argument. Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus and being like, who's the greatest of us? And Jesus, is, I mean, I don't want to paraphrase, he's probably like, no, none of you, I, what are you guys talking about? Come on, Lord, who's the greatest? Who's your favorite? Jesus is like, you're worried about the wrong thing. They're arguing about who the greatest is. You know what Jesus didn't say? It's Peter. <laughs> Never said that. You cannot read this text and say, yes, Peter and his successors, that's the head of the church. They will be displayed in gorgeous robes and golden thrones and people will bow and kiss their rings. Jesus could have said that here. This is the chance for him to say it. He didn't say it, did he? Here, Jesus is saying, I deserve to be served, and yet here I am serving you. So no one here is the greatest. I am. And yet I've made myself the lowest person. Too many people want to be great in the kingdom of God. They forget there's one great person in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus Christ. Good night. We want to be famous. We want to be wealthy. We want to be well-known. I'm so sick and tired. I'm so over social media pastors. I am. I had someone ask me the other day, why aren't you on Twitter? I mean, I am, but I don't post on it. Why don't you ever post on Twitter? I said, what is, what's good? Well, then your name will get out there. People will listen to your sermon. My name is out there. The people who know it are the people at First Baptist Church. The people that God has put me to serve. I'm sick and tired of TikTok pastors, YouTube pastors, right? What about what this pastor says? I don't care what he says. He's not a pastor to the world. We need to stop trying to build our ministries. People I know, my wife knows, who, who get involved in every controversy they can online just so they can build their name and their brand and get followers. And it's like, what are you doing? I mentioned you before that pastor that we know. He was, he's a pastor now. He was a pastor then. Got into every controversy he can get into because you know what? Negative publicity is still, still publicity. And he's built a name and he's built a brand. And today he's a pastor of a church and he's never there because he's always traveling to all these conferences. I'm sorry, he's not a pastor. And he's abdicated what God has called him to do. God has not called us to travel to conference after conference after conference. He's called us to the local church to love and serve one another. If we're not doing that, who cares who's the greatest? Who cares who knows? You guys know me. I'm, I'm, I'm always on the fringe of cutting off our live stream. We don't need... I, I struggle with that. Who cares who out there is watching or listening? It's in here that matters. This is where God has called us to. Right here. Let's stop worrying about who's the greatest, who knows our name, who's listening to us. Say, Pastor, what would you do if somebody found your sermon and liked it and called you to come to their conference? I'd say no. I'd say no. Because I wasn't called to their conference. I was called to this church. So who's the greatest in the church? Are you the greatest in the church? No. I wasn't called to be the greatest either. I'm not the greatest. Everybody's always correcting me. My wife's always telling me how, much, how wrong I am all the time. That keeps me humble. I get mad at her for a minute, and I realize, yeah, she's right. She's right. No. That's why I love when Brother Gary has a message from the Lord. It's not my pulpit. It's the Lord's pulpit. I love when our men can preach. I do. I'm very sparing bringing in guest preachers. Not because I'm worried they're greater than me, but because God has called me here. 
It's not, there's no greater or lesser. At least there shouldn't be. I've been in churches where people fight. I've been in this church for 30 years. Who are you to tell you what? You have no say here. I've been here so long. Jockeying for position. That's not biblical, church. I don't care if you've been here 30 years or 30 days. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Who's the greatest, Pastor? Jesus is. And if our focus shifts off of Jesus, we've lost focus. We're off track. Let me get back to my notes before I stay on that for an hour. I lost my, lost my place in my notes. Go back to our text. Let's just, let's just start back at the beginning. Philippians chapter 2. It's always better when you lose track of where you're at. Just reset. So in verses 1 and 2, minister consolations to each other as you have received them from Christ. In verse 3, don't do it through strife or for vainglory, but in humility of mind, consider others better than yourself. Once again, not with the lips only. He doesn't want fake Christianity. I fight this every week. We don't serve God in pretense. We serve because we love or we don't serve at all. We give because we love or we don't give at all. We worship because we love or we don't worship at all. God will judge us for why we do the things that we do. We need to remember that. So what's the best way to truly have humility of mind? What's the best way to truly humble yourself? That is to pour out your life to serve other people. Verse 4. Bear their burdens. And then Paul pauses in our text and he gives them an example of humility. He doesn't want fake humility. He says, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. Oh, and by the way, Jesus did that. Let the mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What mind is he talking about? A mind of humility. Then Paul explains this in verse 6 and 7. Look at verse 6. Who, meaning Christ, who being in the form of God. This means he shared the glory and divine nature of God. I'm going to read you a few verses. Don't, don't turn to them, but the references are in your bulletin. John 18, 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto, you, unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's who being, and catch this next part, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, I mean, sharing his substance, sharing the divine nature of God with the Father and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That word form is used twice here in our text, being in the form of God, here in verse 6, he is in the form of God. This means he is fully divine, fully God, equal with the Father and the Spirit. It's also used in verse 7 to say he took the form of a servant. He took upon him the form of a human. This means he is just as fully human as he is fully divine. The word form means the same thing in both verses. So if form of God means equality with God, the form of a servant means he was fully human. He was the God-man. He's fully God and fully man. He did not cease to be God. He did not become less God. Jesus took to himself the human nature and joined it to the divine nature. This is called in theology the hypostatic union. David Mathis explains this well. Listen to this. Our English adjective hypostatic comes from the Greek word hypostasis, the word only appears four times in the New Testament, maybe most memorably in Hebrews 1-3, where Jesus is said to be the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The author of Hebrews uses the word in reference to the oneness of God, both the Father and the Son, 
are of the same nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. In early church discussions, as Greek thinkers tried to find agreeable terms with those who spoke in Latin, the word hypostasis became to, came to denote not the sameness of the Godhead, meaning God's one essence, but the distinctness, the three persons. So it began to be used to refer to something like the English word person. Hypostatic union sounds fancy in English, but it's actually a simple term. Hypostatic means personal. The hypostatic union is the personal union of Jesus' two natures. Jesus has two complete natures, one fully human and one fully divine. What the doctrine of the hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in one person in the God-man. Jesus is not two persons. He is one person. The hypostatic union is the joining, mysterious though it might be, of the divine and the human in the one person of Jesus. End quote. What a great explanation. I was listening to an apostate, that's what I call them now, <laughs> apostates, giving her deconstruction testimony. I'm hooked on those. They're fascinating to me. She was talking about deconstructing her faith. And one thing that she said stuck out to me. She said that the belief that Jesus is God was not believed early on, but developed over the last 2,000 years. A cursory reading of church history would demonstrate that's not true. She's badly informed. We know this is false. We have the record in the scripture. Don't turn with me. I'm going to read them quickly, but... They're in your bulletin. The Old Testament prophets knew the Messiah would be God. Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. John the Baptist understood this in John 1.30. This is he of whom I said, After me come the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. John, you're six months older than Jesus. He knows. He knows who Jesus is. He's God. John 20, verse 26, says, After eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And you say, Well, Pastor, that's the Bible. It's been changed. It's, it's biased. Okay, let's, let's, let, let's hear the testimony of other Christians in early Christian history. Because her claim was that Christians didn't believe that he was God until a thousand years later. It began to develop. How about Polycarp? He lived from 69 to 155 AD. Right there, within almost 40 years of Christ's death, he was born. Polycarp says, Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal High Priest himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, build you up in the faith and truth, and to us with you, and to all those under heaven who will yet believe in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and in his Father who raised him from the dead. Listen to a letter written by the church, to the church of Ephesus by Ignatius of Antioch, who lived from 50 A.D. to 117 A.D. Ignatius, who is also Theodorus, under her which hath been blessed in greatness through the plenitude of God the Father, which hath been foreordained before the ages to be forever, forever unto abiding and unchangeable glory, united and elect in a true passion by the will of the Father and of Jesus Christ our God, even under the church which is in Ephesus. Clement of Alexandria, who lived from A.D. 150 to 215, wrote a letter around the year 200, in which he says this, This word, then the Christ, the cause of both our being at first, for he was in God, and of our well-being, this very word has now appeared as man, he alone being both God and man, the author of all blessings to us, by whom... We, being taught to live well, are sent on our way to life eternal. The Word, who in the beginning bestowed on us life as Creator when He formed us, taught us to live well when He appeared as our Teacher, that as God, He might afterwards conduct us to the life which never ends. His references to the Word show that He's familiar with the writings of the Gospel of John. So, the place we see that in the Scripture. So we can, I, can, I can tell you the Gospel of John, if you want to say the Bible's been changed, 
it hasn't been changed at least since the year 200. Because the, the term word was in there. What am I saying? I'm saying that the early Christians recognized that Jesus was God. This is not a new development. This is not a, a, a thing that's happened over time. The word testifies that Jesus is God. Early Christians testify that Jesus is God. And this Jesus who is God took to himself our nature. And he humbled himself and he became a servant to those who should have been serving him. And that's the example that we're given by Paul. Serve one another. Lay down your life for one another. How? The way Jesus did. By serving each other. By ministering to one another. Look at the next part of verse 6. Paul goes on to say, He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is not, as the Arians would assert, a reference to Jesus becoming God. He thought equality with God not something to be grasped or held onto. Calvin in his commentary points out that this phrase is giving us the evidence that Jesus' humiliation was voluntary. He who is sharing the, in the form of the divine nature of God could have gone on in that same glory. Instead, he chose something else. Look at the first part of verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Do you see the contrast? He was in the form of God. Sharing the divine nature, the glory, the attributes of God Almighty. And he saw that as not something to be held on to. But rather he willingly relinquished it. Let it go. To voluntarily serve others. Let me tell you, church, none of us here are as great as we think we are. But as great as you think you are, release that and serve other people. Because even Christ held not on to the glory that he was deserving. That's the ultimate example of the Christian life. Lay down your life like Jesus did. And he deserved glory. He deserved to be served and worshipped. You and I don't. We're bad people. I woke up this morning like 7 o'clock and I've sinned since then. Can you believe that? I've had to confess the sin to the Lord. Since 7 a.m. I'm not worthy of worship. I'm not the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus is. Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom. He could have grasped or held on to his, the glory of his divine nature, but he chose to humble himself, veil his glory, and take to himself a human nature. In that nature, he could have been the high priest. He could have served in the temple. Even with the human nature, he could have been well-respected, well-loved. He could have been born in the palace. He could have come out a great teacher. In that nature, that human nature, he chose to take the form of a servant. Why? To teach us how to serve one another. It was an example. His whole life was an example of service to others. If our life is to imitate the life of Jesus, it has to be a life of service. It can't be a life of self-service. That's not what Jesus told us. That's not the example he gave us. It's got to be a life of laying down our interests. Laying down even things that we're worthy of. Remember I told you that story? I love the story of uh, um, Reese Howells. I mentioned it several times. Him and his friends started this mission in Wales. And I mean, hundreds were being saved and the Holy Spirit, it was just after the Welsh revival and, and the Holy Spirit was still working so much in the country of Wales and the mission became famous across the whole country for the work they were doing for God. And God told Reese, you need to step aside. Let your friend take control of the, the mission. Your job is going to be prayer and intercession. You're going to pray for him as he publicly serves in the mission. 
And Reese's first response to God was, but then everyone will think all the success is because of him. And God said, exactly. Reese Howells opened up that his friend was so humble. He said, if my friend had been told by God to step aside, let me take the mission, and to go into the prayer closet to support it, he would have said, okay, that's fine. My first response was, who's going to get the glory? That's why he sent me to the prayer closet, because I wanted the glory. Church, we don't seek glory to ourselves. We seek the glory of Christ. We seek the glory of Christ. it's 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 a hard line to walk sometimes, especially as a pastor. You want God to do something through your church. But I'll be honest with you guys, I am a pride monger. I am so afraid if God did something to our church, I would want the credit for it. That's why he's got to bend me, we prayed this morning. He's got to break me before that happens. Because Christ needs to be glorified in this place. Too many churches where men are glorified. Christ has to do it. That's why I love, we've got that gate out there. (laughs) Can't blame me for that. What a great pastor. He got us a brand new gate. No, 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 no. I had no control over that. I love when God answers prayers in supernatural ways that we can't take the credit for. Don't seek glory for yourself. Seek glory for Christ. Who's the greatest in the kingdom, Pastor? Christ. Who's the greatest in the church, Pastor? Christ. He makes no mistakes. He's sinless. He's perfect. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Again, we see the voluntary humiliation of Christ and the hypostatic union. He took upon himself the form of a servant. We need to take upon ourselves the form of a servant. In my famous book, I had a pastor once. Uh, I just started a series of YouTube videos called I Had a Pastor Once. I had a pastor one time, not not long ago. I came to church on Sunday morning. I think my wife was working that day. I came to church, and the pastor was sweeping the front porch of the church. He was visibly frustrated. Is there anything wrong? And he stopped and he held the broom. He goes, a pastor should not be doing such menial work around the church. I am the man in the pulpit. Others should be doing this work. I decided at that moment he probably shouldn't be the man in the pulpit. He brought on shortly thereafter an assistant. He was very particular. He's not the assistant pastor. He's the assistant to the pastor. It's a pride thing. And when he, when he gathered some of those men together to tell us about bringing him on the church staff, it was asked, well, what's he going to do? And the pastor said, any job the pastor shouldn't be doing. And somebody in the room said, well, what shouldn't the pastor be doing? He goes, anything beneath his station. That is completely wicked. And completely put to bed by this passage right here. He who had the divine nature released a glory associated with it. Took a frail human nature and in that human nature became a servant. Some dispute this. I I believe that when he washed the disciples' feet, he washed the feet of Judas who would betray him. That's powerful. Some argue that he didn't, but... I believe that he did. If you reconcile the gospel accounts together, it seems pretty clear to me. Judas was among those whose feet were washed by Christ. Oh, pastor, I can't serve them. You don't know what they've done to me. I know what Judas was going to do to Christ. And he knew it too when he washed his feet. He washed their feet. He sat back at the table 
and they ate dinner. And then he said, just a couple of verses later in John, the end of John 13, he who betrays me is sitting here with me right now. And he dipped the bread and he gave it to him and Judas left and went and betrayed him. You think Christ didn't know he was going to do that? He knew. And he washed his feet anyways. What am I saying? I don't care what someone's done to us. Wash their feet. Serve them. Humble yourself. You're their servant. But they've hurt me so bad. It doesn't matter. You're their servant. But they betrayed me. It doesn't matter. You're their servant. If Christ can wash the feet of the one who would betray him to death, you and I can wash the feet. We can serve the one who's hurt our feelings. Can't we? We cannot hold grudges and pretend we're followers of Christ. We can't. We can't pretend we're the greatest in the church and be followers of Christ. We can't pretend there's anything below our station and pretend we're followers of Christ. Let me apply these truths as we close. We're to serve one another with true humility. Not just lip service. There's no reward for fake piety. Only true-hearted service. I want our church to grasp this so much. I've been in so many churches in my life where it's just pretense. It's just for tradition. It's just what they do. I don't want us to be that way. If you can't sing a song and mean it in your heart, stand there quietly and listen. But don't lie to God. Don't stand there and sing, I surrender all when you don't. Don't sing that song if you're going to hold back from Christ. Don't put money in the offering plate if you don't love Christ. Say, Pastor, how do you pay the bills? I'll get, I'll get several jobs. I've said it before. I'll work three jobs. I'll put my wife to work. I'll put our dogs to work. But there's no reward in filling the offering plate if you don't love Christ. It means nothing to Christ. That means we can't pay the bills. We'll have service by candlelight. I'm almost fed up with the live stream, so that can go. What I'm saying is if we don't love Christ, he doesn't want vain glory. He doesn't want strife. He doesn't want factionalism. He doesn't want vain what's the word? lip service, right? If he commands us as Christians not to serve our employers with eye services and men pleasers, why would we think he wants us to serve God that way? When God can see through our pretenses. Don't fake it, Christian. We need to humble ourselves. I say us, me included. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me. We need to humble ourselves, let go of whatever we think we deserve, and we need to serve one another. Why? Because Christ did. Because Christ did. And he deserves worship. He deserves glory. He who is the divine nature of God failed that glory. And he washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. And Simon, who was about to betray him three times, denied that he even knew him. We need to serve one another with true humility. My second takeaway today is Christians have always believed that Jesus is God. Don't let someone tell you they haven't. Number three, the humility that God requires of us was modeled for us by Christ. Again, Christ has gone everywhere he wants us to go. He's gone before us, right? Even the life of service. If Christ lowered himself, we should never raise ourselves up. We're not as great as we think we are. Galatians 6.3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. If we're going to be better than others, we need, to be better. we need to strive at being better servants than others. What is it? I think it's Paul that said, outdo one another in showing good works. I, I shouldn't quote things. I don't know. Look, Google that later. It's, it's similar. 
If Jesus could humble himself and serve, washing the dirty feet of sinful men, no job is too low or too demeaning. We must fight pride and embrace humility. We need to think low, live low, and if there is exalting, let God do it on the day of judgment. But don't do it yourself or myself. We need lowliness of mind, esteem others better than ourselves. Wash each other's feet, I'm speaking metaphorically. Serve one another. Do you know a Judas? Wash his feet too. You know a Peter who's going to deny knowing Christ three times? Wash his feet too. Serve one another. There's no excuse for Christians not to pour out their lives to serve each other. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this time together in the Word and the songs, Lord. Just We thank you for the church that you've purchased with your own blood. We thank you for this assembly that we have here, Lord. For all who've gathered here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to worship him. Oh, Lord, we're we're such undeserving people. We are small people who serve a mighty God. We are sinful people who've been forgiven because their God stepped in their place and took upon himself the guilt of their sins. And you've washed us clean now. You've declared us not guilty. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, humble us now. May we be servants to one another. May our lives be lives of service. May our minds be minds of humility. May we truly esteem others better. I struggle, Lord. I confess that. Help me, Lord. Help me to truly esteem others better than myself. You're not pleased with empty words and lip service. Oh, God, we need you to do a work in our midst. Only you can humble us. Only you could give us the mind of a servant. Do that work among us, Lord. Bless now this offering, and thank you for this service, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.